There's a little story in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 17. The Lord has been giving me this, but he hasn't, he, it was like, Lord, how does that fit together? I don't, show me why these fit together. And it, it's been, the journey has been such an amazing journey in my head, and I just pray that he, Lord, please give me words that I may express what you have been showing me. I ask you for your preaching angels. I ask you for your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would bless us from your throne above. Amen. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priest. And they went, and they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God. In a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise, go, your faith has made you well. One out of ten returns and gives thanks. Now here's the other piece of the story, and I'm hoping God will just, I love the stories of Corrie ten Boom, and in case you've never read her stories, she lived in Holland, and her father was a watchmaker. And she wrote an amazing book called The Hiding Place because her and her whole family were arrested and put into a Jewish concentration camp. And in that time, she saw so many things. And her story is unbelievable. I have read it since I was 12 years old, over and over, because I know we may be the generation that lives through the last days. I want to know how they survived in the concentration camp. I want to know what God did for them. And she always starts her story talking about how in their home in Holland that they always had a box on the wall for blessings. And every time a visitor would come, her mother, and after she passed on, the sisters would put a penny every time somebody would come into their house. Every time God gave them a blessing, it was the blessing box. And they had spent their lives putting their pennies in the gratefulness box. I thought that was cool, such a cool idea because it always turned your mind to looking for the good things that God is doing. And later when her and her sister were arrested and they ended up in the same camp, and they ended up at times in the same cells together, and here they were at one point, uh, Corey was complaining about something and her sister Betsy, and Betsy had this amazing faith. She saw not the way we see, but she saw with the eyes of God. And I mean, there was even one point where she said, we have to open a house when this is over for the people that have been damaged here. And she goes, oh yes, all the, all the prisoners. And she goes, oh, I was talking about the guards. Because in her mind, it was a far worse thing to face in eternity what you had done as a guard than what you had done as a prisoner. And she began to pray for the souls of these men, even. In the midst of them beating her 
and taking away her food and she was just skin and bones and and Corey was always amazed at what her sister saw so one day they were sitting because they were both pretty sick and they were knitting socks and uh, they had her sister said to her you need to we need to thank God in everything praise him in everything and she goes even here and she goes even here because God is ruling in Ravensbrook, the worst concentration camp for women. And so she prays and she goes, well, I am not thanking God for the lice. I don't care what you say. I am not thankful for them. And she goes, in every small thing, be thankful. And another tiny, little, tiny thing that had happened was that somehow her sister, who lived on the outside, had sent them a tiny little Bible. And they had put it on a string, and Corey carried it around her neck, and she would put it in the front or in the back according to where the guards were standing, and she would hang it down. And somehow, she said she didn't know how, because when they came into line with no clothes, they came into line and the guards were searching them. And she thought, how am I going to get our Bible through? And she said, she, she, it was her turn, and she kind of hesitated, and then the guard pushed her forward and pushed her right on through the gate. <laughs> and they never stopped her. And they ended up walking in the concentration camp with a Bible. This little Bible a little bottle of vitamins to which it never ran out. They continuously put one drop on the tongue of every woman around them day after day for years. One drop of vitamin. And even in this place, God blessed. They would stand at night at the end of one of the beds uh, you know, they had layers and layers of beds, and they'd stand. And Corey would read from the Word of God, and it would be translated in Dutch and German and French. And it would go back through the barracks as the women who came from different places would hear the Word of God. They actually began to be known as the crazy women who hope. It was the only camp known for that. The crazy women who hope. Well, what they could never figure out was how they got away with it. Because the guards came in there constantly. And yet they were able to hold these long Bible studies at night. So one day there was a fight. They were making socks again. And there was a fight among the prisoners. And Corey went out to get a guard and said, you need to come in and help us. And he said, I'm not going in there. There's lice in there. And she realized the reason that they were able to preach the kingdom of God was because of the lice. Even in these small things, they were grateful. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is my Cory Ten Boom book. It kind of comes in stages. But, I, I mean, I love this book so much. It's like my grandmother gave it to me. A week before she, two weeks before she was let out, and uh, her sister died. And she couldn't understand because she felt like her sister was the good one. Why was God letting her live? And she, um, she said she was standing in line, and they made her stand in front of the other woman. They stood a hundred people on a block. And they made her stand in front of everybody, and it was cold, and they had very thin little dresses. And she stood up there, and she thought, this is it. You know, I'm going to the gas chamber. And all of a sudden, they called her in, and they said, you're released. And... She stood there, and there was another woman with her, and the doors all of a sudden were open, and she was free. 
no rhyme, no reason, a week later, all the women of her age had been killed. One week, God picked her up and took her. And I want to read to you what she wrote as she went home. The first door, I'm thinking of Thanksgiving as I read this to you. I hope this is a kick in your soul and your spirit. The first door directed me back to Holland. The train ride took three days. Another prisoner, Claire Prinz, had been released with me. Her leg was alarmingly swollen. And of course, both of us were mere skin and bones, but we were free. Arriving, um, I believe they first, uh, before they went home, they had stopped at, this, at the Christian hospital called the Deaconess House, where I asked to speak to the superintendent. Perhaps they would help us until we could return to Harlem, I thought. Sister Travenier uh, cannot come to the, at the moment, the attendant said, and she helped to conduct the, she's helping to conduct the Christian service in one of the wards. I'm afraid you'll have to wait. Would you mind, I said, looking at the attendant, if I attend the service too? She looked at me tenderly, sensing perhaps some of my suffering. Why, of course. You may rest in the waiting room until it starts. I'll come after you. Nurse, I hesitated to ask, have you anything for me to drink? Again, a look of compassion crossed her face, and I'll bring you some tea, she said gently. A few minutes later, she placed it before me, saying, I have not put butter on the toast, for I see you are sick, and dry toast and tea will do you some good. I was deeply touched by the tiny show of consideration. A moment later, I was lying in a comfortable chair with my legs outstretched on a bench. A wonderful feeling of rest descended on me. I was in the Netherlands, among good people. My suffering was over. A nurse came for me to take me to the ward where the service was being held. Chairs had been arranged in a semicircle between the beds facing the table. An elderly minister walked in, and a hymnal was handed to me. I could see the nurses and the patients glancing stealthily at me. My clothes were ragged and filthy, hanging from my gaunt body like rags on a scarecrow. Yet I was so thankful to be free that I cared not. The minister spoke in well-modulated voice, and then we joined in singing. I could not help but make the comparisons, the dirty prison dormitory, infection-ridden and filthy and beds full of lice. And now this, clean sheets and pillowcases and a spotless floor a horse-ridden voices of slave drivers and the mature, melodious voice of the minister. Only the singing was the same, for we had sung at Ravensbrook. Singing was one of the ways we kept our courage. Following the service, the nurse took me to the superintendent's office. Miss Prince has been taken care of, she said, in a nice fresh bed, you both must have been through a horrible experience. Um, but now, what must be done with you? I sat in the chair across from her desk. More than 50 years, I had not been, more than a year, I'm sorry, I had not been allowed to make a single decision for myself. All I could do was follow orders. It was difficult even to think, I, I don't know, sister. I said, it is enough just to be surrounded by people who are not angry at me. <laughs> I know what she said as she, as she touched a bell. First, we'll give you a warm dinner. A young nurse appeared and took my arm, guiding me down the hall towards the dining room. I understand you have just been released from Ravensbrook, she said. Where are you going? Where is your home? I'm going to Harlem, I replied. 
Oh, Harlem, she said with excitement. Do you know Corey Ten Boom, who lives there? I looked at her. She was one of my YWCA leaders, and I had been worked with her before the war. Truce Benz, I exclaimed in delight. Why, yes, that's my name, she said, bewildered, but I don't believe I know you. I am Corey Ten Boom. The nurse stopped abruptly in the hall, staring at me. Oh, no, that's impossible. I knew Corey Ten Boom very well. I have been in her girls' camps with several, several times. She is much younger than you. But I, I really am Corey Ten Boom, I argued. Then I thought of how I must have looked. My face was thin and pale, my mouth wide, my skin stretched across my skull. My hair fell quirkily all around my face. My eyes were hollow, my coat was dirty, for I had times slept on the floor of the train as we traveled out of Germany. The belt of my dress sagged, for I was too tired to tighten it. The nurse reached out tenderly and touched my chapped hands. Yes, yes, it is you. <laughs> and then we both broke into laughter. Then I was eating potatoes, Brussels sprouts, meat and gravy, and for dessert, pudding with currant juice and an apple. I have never seen anyone eat so intensely, said one of the nurses from the nearby table, commanded. I, care, I cared not. With every mouthful of food, I could feel new life streaming into my body. I had once said to Betsy in camp, when we get home, we shall have to eat carefully, taking only small amounts at a time until our stomachs are ready. No, said Betsy. She said, God will see to it that we shall be able to retain all sorts of food right away. And she was right. How wonderfully good that food did taste. I shall remember that meal as long as I live. There came time for a warm bath. <laughs> they could hardly get me out of it. My poor sick skin, damaged by lice, seemed to grow softer for the mo every moment I slipped into the warm tub. Afterwards, they dressed me. Several of the ex-leaders of the Netherlands Girls Club were among the nurses, girls that I had known. and a world that was before the war. They dressed me up like a little doll. One of them had a lingerie and another shoes and another dress and pins for my hair. I felt so happy that I laughed for the sheer joy. How sweet they were to me. These young women had trained in kindness, opposite of the concentration camp where men had been trained in cruelty. I was, so t I was then taken to a cozy bedroom so I could rest. How lovely was the combination of colors. I was starved for color. In the concentration camp, everything was gray. But here in Holland, the colors were vivid again. My eyes could not seem to get enough to satisfy them. And the bed, delightfully soft and clean with thick woolen blankets. One of the little nurses brought me an extra pillow and tucked it under my swollen feet. I wanted to laugh and cry at the same time. Oh, no, I do. Later that afternoon, one of the nurses took me up to her room where for the first time in many months, I had heard the sound of a radio. Gunther Raymond was playing Bach trio. The organ tones flowed about and enveloped me. I sat on the floor beside the chair and sobbed unshamefully, <laughs> unashamedly. It was too much joy. I had rarely cried during all those months of suffering, and now I could not control myself. My life was given back as a gift, harmony, 
beauty, colors, music. Only those who have suffered as I have been returned and have returned can fully understand what I mean. I knew my life had been given back for a purpose. I was no longer my own. This time, I had been ransomed and released. I knew that God would soon be sending me off as a tramp for the Lord. But right now, he was letting me enjoy the luxury of thanksgiving. I was drinking from a fountain. I knew it would never run dry, the fountain of praise. Isn't that beautiful? So when you get to go home this Thanksgiving, look around you. Drink it in. Drink in the food that has been put before you, the friends that you have. Drink, drink in the beauty of friendships, the beauty of a place to lie down, the beauty of music. I read this every now and then to remind myself how rich I am. And let us not be like those lepers, the 10 lepers who being given their life, I have seen lepers on the street. Leprosy is a horrible disease. When I lived in Indonesia, we had lepers all over the place. They lived under the bridges. And leprosy eats off your fingers. It eats off your toes. It eats off their noses. Hard to even imagine it. Their whole bodies are covered with, with like a gray, I don't know what. And you see them and and they crawl around and they'll pull themselves on little wagons. And there was a man who had leprosy whom God just took it away from him. And yet he walked on, he went home, never looked back to what God had just done for him or delivered him out of a life of isolation because they weren't allowed to be with other people. It is so easy for us to forget to be thankful. It is so easy for us. And you see all these little miracles that God does. All around us, the things that we should be grateful for and thankful for. The face of our children. The fact that we are free to have our religion and have a Bible and read it. We have a God that sits and works inside of us. You see, God delivered Egypt in a matter of days, hours. They woke up one night. The angel of death had passed over Egypt. All of them walked out of their houses and walked away from their slavery. It took him days to just walk them out of that land. But as easy as it was for God to do that and deliver them from everything that is horrible, and God could so easily answer all of our prayers, boom, take Egypt out of us, take away my financial burden, take away my illness, Lord, deliver me. And these prayers that we have when he pours out all of his blessings and we don't even know it. In an instant, we are justified by faith. We come and we lay down ourselves before God and he forgives us of all of it. In an instant, we are taken out of Egypt. But it takes God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. They don't get to go straight from there. They spend the next 40 years in Gilgal. 40 years it takes to get the world out of them, to get their experience out of them, to get them to trust him. We recently helped someone that was hoarding and 
we walked in and we cleaned her house and she was so overwhelmed with joy. But the next couple weeks I went there and I helped her take out her trash and we helped her to continue the process. And I found a thank you to your son who came. We found a specialized social worker that came to help her get new teeth, help her get um, job, help her to get a home of her own so she didn't have to go through this. And you know what? She said, no thanks, I'm okay now. I went, what? But we do the same thing. We take the salvation. We're, Thank you for cleaning out the house, Jesus. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear anything else. No, I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm not going to. I don't want to pray because you might ask me to do something I don't want you to do. And God has a so much bigger plan than just the miracle. God is constantly, I could preach for hours about the way he's answered prayers in our church and the things that he's done but I don't want to miss the part. It is easy for him. He will do any miracle you need if it would bring you to him. But if you choose to walk away, there's nothing he can do. He's saying, come on. I have a whole world for you. You don't even understand because you see the woman that we help doesn't understand. She has been so beaten in her life that she doesn't get it. She doesn't know we're helping her and she thinks we might trick her and take her kids. She has no ability to trust and we have no ability to trust God. And it takes a complete act of faith to say, thank you God for getting me this far. Here, do open soul surgery on me. I want more. God has so much more than the things, the little miracles. He wants to do something in us, and this is where I said, boy, I hope, God, give me the words to say it. I want to read this piece of scripture, Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is what? You all know this. It is a living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of the creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare, naked before the eyes of him whom we must give account to. Here it is, and then here's the last piece of scripture. This is from Romans. And then we're going to go. Romans 8, and I believe it's 9, I covered it. You, are however, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, and if Anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But in Christ, is, if Christ is in you, you're, I messed it up, I apologize. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. You know people that it says if you have, I love this piece because it says if you, if the spirit of Christ doesn't live in you, it doesn't matter. You can be doing nothing wrong. You could do keep the Sabbath and, you know, only eat, you know, perfect golden pears or something. And it says you can do nothing right. Nothing wrong, but do absolutely nothing right. If you have the spirit of God in you, it's not the same thing as living up to the law because you can be up there and hold your breath and do nothing wrong but not be walking in the spirit of God and do absolutely nothing right.
Did that make any sense? But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Now we, now can I put all this together? Christ says, and, and uses in my King James Version, and I like that version better, that God quickens us. And he's talking about the mortal body. He's saying that when Christ comes, he calls forth bodies that have been dead for a millennial, and the heart begins to beat, and the brain begins to function again, and we rise up from the dead, and he puts together all these things. And if that quickening doesn't turn you on, think about the fact that he is going to quicken us here on earth, that when his Word enters us, this living, active Word of God that moves in and moves into us. This is the great miracle. This is the great miracle that we walk not after what our own carnal natures want, but that we walk after God. That we hear and we listen. There's, there's a, I'll get it wrong, there's a place that uh, in Impossible, Mission Impossible 3, and I have not seen the movie, I've read about this, but he talks about how the secret agent, um, and I forgot his name, that just went straight out of my head. Anyway, there's this one point where this Mission Impossible, is, here it is, he takes, they shoot an explosive device up his nose into his brain, and now he has to get it out. Now, I didn't see the movie, but I know he's the hero, and somehow he got out of that. But here it is, Ethan Hunt, that's his name. God quickens us. He takes his word, this word that was exhaled, to Moses, to Peter, to Paul, and he puts it out and we inhale the word of God, this living, active worth of God, and it is a brain explosion. It is an explosion in inside the spirit that comes between the bones and the blood. It separates and it comes inside of us. You can't do it yourself. It's not possible. It's a thing of God. It's a supernatural thing that he does for us. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. And he comes and he quickens us. And that word I started thinking about, that every time we read the word of God and we put it in us, every time we bless him and we thank him and we're grateful, there is a resurrection of the dead in our brains. Think about that. He comes in with his word and he, oh, he defibrillates our spirits and our souls. Oh, oh, no, she's not there yet. <laughs> Give her another shock. And he says, he shakes us up. Every word Every single solitary verse in scripture is life support from us to the heavens. And he's coming in. And it doesn't matter if you're in a prison camp. It doesn't matter wherever you are. It reaches right in and ba-boom. He shakes up our heart. He shakes up our mind. That's what God is. That's who God is, and that's what he does. That's what his word does for us. Some of us need to go back and start. He comes in, and he makes our hearts break for the things that make God's heart break. We are here to build the kingdom of God, not watch over the fort. A lot of us are just watching over the fort. We are here to build the kingdom of God. We need to inhale his word. 
We need to pull it in and live it and write it and put it on our door frames. And the kings of Israel were required to write out by hand the words of God and to wear that on their bodies and to read it every day. We need to act like kings. I love it. My friend, uh, Vicki, used to always tell me, and I will end with my stories. My friend Vicki, she's... um, she was so funny. She was, such, she was such a prayer warrior, and I loved her so much. And I, I struggle with depression and anxiety my whole life, my whole life. And I remember um, there was one point that she picked me up, and she goes, Nancy, you need to practice your thankfulness. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, you're not very thankful for anything. All you do is complain. And I was like, uh, and, she, and she goes, what are you thankful for? And I was like, my toothbrush. And she goes, really, Nancy, your toothbrush? So she grabs my hand, and she takes me outside to stand by the lake. And she goes, Nancy, look around. What are you thankful for? And I said, the dirt. And she goes, Nancy, look higher. Look higher. Okay, the grass, the weeds, the lake, the beautiful trees the huge, ever, never-ending pine trees around us. I said, the, the path that is white sand, and on a moonlit night, it glows in the middle of the sunflower field. She goes, he did this all for you. For you. Be grateful. I thought this was so cool. So I had another friend that came, friend of a friend of a friend, and she was a quadriplegic. And one time, her friend had to leave, who took care of her while she was there. And she looked over at me, and she goes, I need your help. And I said, what are you talking about? And she goes, I need to go to the restroom. What are you talking about? What are we talking about here? And she goes, I need you to help me. I don't have arms. I mean, she had tiny little arms. And no... I can't really stand on my own. And I said, what are we talking about here? (laughs) And I was like, I don't think so. Because I am a selfish human. I am a selfish human. I want my world to be pretty and organized. So we get in there. I helped her get on the toilet. And then I turned around. She goes, where are you going? I need you to stay here with me. And I said, oh, no. No. And I'm like, oh. she goes, no hands, <laughs> no arms. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I know what this means. So later she decided she needed a shower, which I protested. I was sure I could live with her just in the state she was in. And she said, you have to come. So I propped her in the shower, turned the water on. And she goes, where are you going? And I said, no, no, I draw the line. I draw the line. I don't take showers with other people. And she goes, no, no hands, no arms. I'm like, are you kidding? Someone got a bathing suit and several sets of clothes. <laughs> Gave her, and then she goes, well, you got to help me. And uh, I said, okay. So we got, I got her back in the chair, and she goes, Where you, I can't dress myself. I said, you really are a pain. (laughs) She goes, and you have to put lotion on me and powder. I said, I don't even put lotion and powder on me. Are you kidding? And she goes, lotion and powder, lotion and powder, lotion and powder. I'm like, okay, okay, Marilyn. So I put lotion on her, and then I take out her powder, and it has one of those big old-fashioned puffs. And I started puffing. And there was a cloud, and she's like, I think you got enough. I said, oh, no. (laughs) And she got done, and she was like pure white. It was gorgeous. (laughs) And, And when we would get together, we would complain. And so I told her about Vicky telling me I needed to do thank therapy. And I said, so me and you are going to do it, because all we do is complain. When we get together, we moan and cry about everything that's wrong with each other in our lives. And so I said, let's do a thank list. And every time, uh, every day we'll wake up and we'll say, is this going to be the best thing? 
Oh, no, 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 this is even better. We would keep this list of all the best things, and that way our minds would start going on the good things God was doing. We're like, that's good. So the first day, we get back, and uh, I've got my book for my think therapy, and I'm ready for the day. Can't wait to see what Jesus is going to do. And I'm out uh, clearing woods. I was clearing a trail, and I actually had a hatchet and I don't know how they ever trusted me with these things. I am the biggest klutz in the world. <laughs> and they gave me an ax, a hatchet, and some other things to cut up trees. It's just amazing that they did that. And so we're out there, and all of a sudden this van comes by, and it's one of my friends, and she goes, Nancy, you want to help? We need some help. We need to help. We're gonna going to a birth. And I had put my, oh, that sounds interesting. I put my name on the list. And they were heading out of town, and I was like, Okay, so here I am in my overalls going to a birth. I get to the house, and all of a sudden, I'm like, why did I think I wanted to sign up for this? There is nothing about this that's interesting. (laughs) I mean, this poor woman was screaming and hollering, and I was like, "Uh, um... I'm at the wrong place. And so the nurses could see, and they gave me, they said, we want you to help her to breathe. And so I'm over there, <laughs> and the, nur- <laughs> the mom's going, no. <gasps> and I, oh, thank you. <laughs> I thought I was going to pass out right in the middle of all that. And then the nurse could see, and she's like, could you go over to our bags and get us some chucks? And I'm like, chucks, chucks, sure, that sounds... And I'm going through the bag, I'm throwing out all these papers and blue things, and here's a stethoscope, a chuck, chuck, I hope it's marked. And the nurse says, Nancy, they're the blue things that you're throwing on the floor. Oh, why didn't you just say a pad or, you know, a great big blue plastic thing. So we're sitting here and we're going, and finally the father had arrived just in time. And the two of us were a complete disaster. The father and I were no help whatsoever. But the baby was born, and all of a sudden, I realized something. I had seen a new soul come into the world. A person that wasn't there and was there. Alive, screaming, crying. I couldn't talk for two days. I'm not kidding you. I just sat there staring, and people kept saying, are you okay? I'm like, I saw a birth. So I couldn't wait to get back and and talk to Marilyn and say, you're not going to believe the first day of the thank thing what God did. And I call her, and I'm like, uh, uh, and she goes, you're not going to believe, you're not going to believe. And I said, okay, you first. And she said, I was on my way back. She's in a wheelchair. She actually has so many master's degrees, it's ridiculous. And she is a therapist at Warm Springs Institute, or Roosevelt, where they took the polio patients during the war. And here is, she said, um, I was coming back from work. Now, she's in a a wheelchair, electric wheelchair. She has a couple little fingers, and she could move it. She did a lot of things with her chin, her whole house. In her house, in the shower, she has a thing where you could put your chin, and the soap would come on your head. And then she had a brush on the wall, and she would rub it. She had a whole setup. She could type with a, like a plastic teeth thing, and it had a um, pencil, and she could type faster than I could type with two hands, with her mouth. And I would be like, how do you do that? It was, she was, it was amazing. She said, well, I was on my way home, and as I got to the home, I realized somebody was in my house. Now, she... She has no arms to be able to defend herself. And she said, I walked in, I came in the front, and they evidently went out the back. And she said, but it was so cool. And I said, you're crazy, Marilyn. How can that be cool? And And she said, well, I had the stereo that I had put in the middle of my floor because I was trying to sell it. I didn't need it, and I was going to give it. And she said, do you know they went around? I, she has tons of equipment that are, are just for her, an, an amazing amount of equipment that is all run by her chin instead of using your fingers and things. And she said, I could see an angel standing in the middle of my living room going, no, take that thing. No, don't take that. No, you can only have that one. 
And she goes, the only thing he took was the stereo that I was trying to get rid of. And she goes, I have such big angels. Here's the end of the story. So I come back and I'm telling Vicki what she started. And Vicki and I, we were so excited um, that God was working. And within a day, we were called, she was called, to visit a man in the hospital that she had been her patient at the, condi the conditioning center. He was an Italian restaurant owner that had been having heart attacks. And uh, his diet was atrocious, everything. Drank, smoked, everything. He was, he was not good shape. They got him all fixed up, and he was doing good. He went home and went back, right back on his old diet. And now he'd had a major stroke, and he was in the hospital. And his wife called us. So the two of us, I said, can I go with you? And she goes, oh, yeah, please. I don't, it's, so Vicki was a, a woman that could carry the whole world in her purse the whole world, including the kitchen sink, I'm sure. And we get to the hospital, and he is hooked up. He has this machine. And like, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm back here. I'm stepping back at the, in the room. And um, he is completely unconscious. His wife is sitting in a chair, completely exhausted. And she said, oh, no. And she walks right into him, right up to him. What happened to you? And she goes, oh, no, oh, no, you know. And she said, here, Nancy, help me. And she goes, I'm going to massage him. I'm going to massage his hands and stuff with lotion. And so she gives the lotion. She goes, here, you do his feet. And have you ever seen old man feet? Some of you old men got them feet. His, his fingernails were like claws. And I was like, okay. And she's like, what's the matter? Go ahead. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, okay. Lord bless me and Lord change me. It's about the change in our hearts. It is about God coming in here and delivering us from this thing. The leprosy of the soul, the selfishness of the heart, the crustiness of the brain, the paralyzing of our motives. He comes in to change all that. And as we sat there, she was singing, and she was a terrible singer, but it was somehow beautiful that night. And she said, I know you can. she goes, oh! Listen, his, his breathing changed, and it had completely calmed. It was completely, she goes, he can hear me. And she goes, she grabs her Bible, and she said, I'm going to pray for you as if I'm you. And if you hear me in there, you just tell Jesus yes, and I'm going to pray like I'm you. And she starts in the book of Psalms. And she, Lord, my sins are like the hairs of my head. Father, there's dark as scarlet. Make them white as snow. And she prays one scripture after the other. I had never heard anybody pray like that. Lord, I am the great sinner standing before you. Give me your salvation. And she's praying and reading for another person's soul. And he was so quiet. And I was just sitting there and realizing I'm with Jesus. I'm in the presence of a living God. I'm in the presence of a huge angel. And he's reaching into a coma. And he's talking right into the heart of a man. You think you the people you pray for, you, God can't reach them? He can. Pray for your enemies. He reached in there, and she, he completely calmed. So we left, and we took the wife home, and she was as bad condition as him. So we sat there night, that night, and we did the same thing. We began to massage her arms, and we began to pray over her and, and, and put scriptures and ask for forgiveness. That night, 
as we prayed, we finally uh, went into our rooms. And these people were so wealthy, they had everything. They had everything but nothing. Everything but God. And we were sat there. It was funny because the bed was so big. It was like a double king-size bed. And I slept on one side, and, and I said, Vicki, send me a postcard. And we, we, we got up, and we went home the next day. The next day, the man died. Two days later, his wife died. Now that sounds, oh, that's sad. Vicki and I stood between life and death. We stood between heaven and hell for this man. We were brought to the very moment of eternity for two people. And there we saw God manifest himself, his glory falling upon us. Because that's what he does. That's who he is. He wants to do something powerful for us. Don't walk away without saying, God, I want open soul surgery. Send me where you want me to go. Tell me whatever you want me to do. Teach me to step in, to lean into Jesus, to step up. I don't want to, God. I'm comfortable, and to step out. Be quickened by the power of the Spirit of God. For me, this Thanksgiving, it is what I am grateful for, that we can be quickened, that we're not hopeless, that all the regrets that you're feeling about your life, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. So if you have all these regrets because you're not such a great Christian, then take yourself up and say, Lord, I'm here today. 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 Receive the new grace today and rise up. And if you mess it up today, then do it again tomorrow and keep doing it till you hear his voice talking in you every day. Little kids understand it. I, one of my friends was saying he was running around trying to find his keys for his car, and his little girl was sitting in the middle coloring and said, well, Dad, did you ask the still small voice? And he said, you know the still small voice? And he, she goes, yes, he helps me get dressed every day. And he's like, because it, it became a natural part of her. So I pray... Uh, these are my, this is my testimony. These are the things I have seen God do. He will do more for us in this house. Oh, I guess the music guys can, I always forget. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not good at it. Will you do me a favor between now and next week, and I'm praying I will remember. I want to put a Thanksgiving box here. Write it down. Write what you're grateful for. Write what you're thankful for. Write what you would like to leave with God this year. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody.